catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio, 1123. Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go. Every day giftable. Every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. 
Hurry before they're all gone. All right, it's Film Study with Hemmich Tuzik once again. And we are back with the uh, first game after the bye week where the Ravens beat the Bengals 21-24. to 24. Ken McCusick, how are you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing well. Um, this is the defensive episode. We're going to get into the defense. we got to talk about the defense. But the storyline, well, it's not even the storyline. The, the controversy coming out of this game is Lamar Jackson. Yeah, nobody really wants to talk about anything else in town than, than Lamar this week. So we'll we'll sprinkle a little bit of Lamar into both the episodes this Good. week. That'll give us more time tomorrow to talk about Gus Edwards. Because I think that was the real storyline of this game. Very exciting. But uh, but we got to talk about Lamar because there's <laughs> going into this game, there was a lot of hot takes on whether or not Lamar should start. Lamar got the start. And now there seems to be even more like hot takes of like, People who want Lamar, that he, they think he's the future now and that he has played better than Joe. And then there's other people who say he's not. And there, it seems to be a view. It might just be my side, it, it, but it's turning very political where yes. because I say Lamar is not ready to start and not better than Joe, suddenly I hate Lamar. And that's yeah, not the I, case. I know exactly what you mean. And, and it is – it's it's political in the sense that neither side, kind of like American politics right now, can be convinced that the other is has got a valid point, and and it's it's just it's the case. I mean, Lamar, I love what he did for the offense for that game. I love a lot of the things about what he can do for the offense of the future. Do I think he's really ready right now? And and we'll get into some of that. I think the answer is probably no. I don't think he's completely ready. And while I did a lot of good things in this game, there's a lot of questions I would have still coming out of it, and we can. We can get to some of that. Yeah, so Lamar, it also seemed like the game plan was for Lamar to run the ball a lot more and and not throw as much. We had the controversy on the sidelines a little bit of Willie Sneed and Michael Crabtree yelling at Harbaugh because they wanted to be involved in the game more. I, I could not possibly care less about anybody's feelings get hurt than in this last game. Absolutely, the end of the line, Waterloo for this team. They don't win that game. There, there's no, just, just no talking about anything the rest of the way. And in fact, a player like Crabtree, you could pretty well sit him for the rest of the season. Jordan Lasley can have his snaps, as far as I'm concerned, if the Ravens lose that game. We need to find out about the young receivers. There's nothing about Crabtree we need to find out at this point. I, I agree, and I, I can understand that. Except that I can also see the whole. Uh, and there's a we'll just there's a bunch of mailbag questions that came in about the uh, sustainability of this and is this something that the Ravens can do each week? And um, I don't believe it is. I'd love to get your thoughts on it and what that means then in the future. <laughs> like, does if you play this way with Lamar for the rest of the season, how do you then sign wide receivers in Baltimore? No one's going to want to come here if, if they can't get involved, if this is the type of play you're playing. I, I'm not sure that I'm, I've quite got to that point. Obviously, Lamar had a very, very extreme game, uh, so extreme that it's almost unique in NFL history. I mean, 27 carries for a quarterback is something that hadn't been done since 1950. Uh, Michael Vick, the great running quarterback, uh, Scott Garceau told me today, had a maximum of 15 carries in any game in his entire career. 
Okay. 27 carries, and of course, three of them were kneels. Those don't count. But 24 carries in one game. It's just an absurd number for a quarterback to have. And it won't continue. It's not sustainable in that way. But I'm going to go by analogy here and talk about something that's near and dear to Baltimore sports fans, which is the 1989 Why Not season for the Orioles. Now, you were yet born at that point? No, I was born. It's one of my it's one of my favorite memories. I was uh, well, I was nine times. years old. Nine years old. Okay, so fantastic. So the very first game of that season, the Orioles were down. I think three to one in the seventh inning. Cal Ripken hit a three run homer to put them up four three. The Red Sox got it tied. Went to extra innings. They won on a boop single by Worthington, who ended up being the greatest clutch hitter of all time for the year, or not of all time, but I'm slightly hyperbolized. But he was a very good clutch hitter that year for the Orioles. Anyway. The, the point I'm making here is that immediately after that game, one of the very first things that I said was they can't win by that formula every game. Cal Ripken hitting a three-run homer, and they get a, they you know they put string together some hits and extra innings. Cal Ripken you know was going to have 486 RBIs and 162 homers if if they are forced to continue along that sustainable route. So it wasn't sustainable in that way. But the 1989 Orioles season ended up being something really special because they found other ways to win with that talent that they had on the team. And that's the case with Lamar as well. They're, they're going to find other ways to win with Lamar's talents, not with Lamar when running the ball 27 times. Of course, that is not sustainable. And in fact, Lamar, I will, I will state right now, will never, ever in his career again rush 27 times in a game. It hadn't been done since 1950. No reason to believe he's special and it'll happen again. He is special, but it's no, no reason to believe they're going to ever take that kind of chance with him running the ball 27 times again. I think it might Carter. happen this week. No way. Oakland's and coming I, into town even worse defense. What, what kind of odds are you looking for on that? Uh, I don't know. I would have lost my last <laughs> bet. I was, I was yeah. sure Lamar wasn't going to start. All right. So I, I, I literally I, – I'd take – it's certainly lay even money on the rest of his career. It never happens again. But the Ravens only rushed the ball 54 times, I think a couple of times in their history. And so Lamar had half of those. You know, we've, we've just experienced a, a great downhill runner taking over the game in Gus Edwards. If the Ravens were to win by a similar formula, meaning, you know, 75% runs, which, boy, when do you ever string two, to, two 75% run games together – uh, you know, they they do it because they, they'd be rushing a lot of Edwards and maybe a lot of some other back, whether it's uh, Collins or uh, or Ty Montgomery, wherever it might be. But they're not going to do it by, by rushing Lamar 27 times again. If they have actual concerns about Joe not being back for the rest of the year, the last thing you would do is take a chance on Lamar being out for the season with, with something – you know, over-utilizing his running ability to win the game. There will be discussions had this week that will limit those carries in future games. So is it sustainable exactly as is? No. Is it possibly sustainable in some other way using Lamar's talent? Maybe. I did see some things from a throwing perspective, and I know this is highly charged political debate, but there were things from a throwing perspective I really did not like about Lamar's game. The sidearms. yeah, I, t- I really hate any kind of low tra- low trajectory throw. A very high probability in the NFL that gets hit and you know ends up being an interception. He threw one directly into the helmet of Alex Lewis in front of him. Right. That wasn't Lewis's fault. Lewis gave right. him plenty of room. In fact, he gave him ample time and space room on that throw. He threw it right into the back of his helmet. If that takes a slightly different trajectory off that helmet, it's a it's a it's a interception in that play. Uh, you know, it's it's a bad situation 
to put yourself in a position. He threw an early ball in the game that was nearly intercepted on the left sideline. We seem to have forgotten about that one. He threw a right into the right to the defender interception to Williams, obviously later in the game. Right. And the pass to Moore, where he reached backwards, is a dangerous Brashad Perriman interception situation where Moore could have touched that ball, popped it up, and it's all of a sudden in somebody else's hands. That's five of them right there. I don't know how many others that were, but he only threw 19 passes, and that's you know five interceptable balls that yeah. uh, or potentially interceptable balls that, that just are, are a serious concern. Yeah, Chris Moore and Willie Sneed both made him look better with some of their catches. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So, is that the, is the takeaway from this game? I keep saying the takeaway of this game is that Lamar is exciting. It's a different type of football, but he's not ready to lead a team yet. I mean, I, I think that's where I am. I, I think the Ravens would really love to get behind Lamar and see what kind of magic he could produce and do all that. But I think the problem is going to come when stress occurs. And, and, and the stress will occur when the Ravens really get down in a game. Now, I was scared to death when the Ravens were down eight in this game that the season was over because I just right. didn't see a, a good – but they did it. They, they drove down the field. They got the touchdown. They made the two-point conversion look easy. Lamar, uh, everything, Lamar was even passing during that drive. He was moving right, the that, ball around. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was a, it was a fantastic drive. So the, the the I was wrong then, and I'm I'm happy to be. But I think if they got down ten points, if they got down more than one score, which is as far as they got down in this one, it would be a lot more different and 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 more dangerous to to be in that spot. You'd really want to have the ability to up tempo the office with offense by passing 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 down the field, which is what Flacco gives you. So if you're talking about any situation which is adverse in terms of coming back. Your higher variance player gives you a better chance to come back is Flacco, although he may also throw some interceptions or do something that will lose you the game. Um, if you want to try and do what the Ravens did to win or to start, Lamar's not a bad starting quarterback under these circumstances to try and do exactly what they did in this game, work the clock, effectively manage long drives by, by creating manageable third-down situations. And I didn't think I'd say this about Lamar because if you ask Lamar to throw – it's not going to be nearly. I don't. I don't think you're, you're going to have the same chance of getting a third and manageable. He's a higher variance passer than Flacco is in terms of plus ten or minus ten plays or turnovers he's going to throw. And we talked about the about how defense needs to create variation. I think Flacco, uh, sorry, Lamar is going to create more variance for the defense. I think Joe gives you that good ability to vary your result, but the offense needs to catch up at the end of a game. So to, to make sure I'm differentiating that clearly. So anyway, they'll start Lamar again. It's another very bad defense. It's hopeful that the Ravens can take over the game early, score first, and never really look back again. Control the you know control the number of plays, uh, which the you know the Oakland is a very bad team. They're they're perfectly capable of giving this game away, and uh, Lamar is perfectly capable against a team like this or against some other teams of dominating this game. So hopefully we see it in positive uh, you know come to fruition from a positive standpoint here and uh, and the decision not to uh, or the inability and uh, inavailability of Flacco won't hurt the Ravens coming up up against the Raiders right right I think that's the the positive I took away from it is that this talk of where my big struggle has been Lamar going out there and interrupting whatever flow Joe has going on and it throwing mm-hmm. off Joe's game plan and what I saw is Lamar leading drives, even though it's not the type of football I wanted, it was more of a college-style football, I like. I now am kind of sold on the idea of 
putting Lamar in for an entire drive once in a while. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm fine with that, especially if the game is even. Ravens have a lead. You're looking to bleed clock. Whatever you right. might be doing, great plan for that. Right. I, I don't, I don't... Completely mix up the defense. Make them now focus on this instead of the bomb uh, that Joe could throw. I I like that idea rather than the the bring them in for a gimmick play once in a while. Right. I I agree, and I think you know we saw enough from the gimmick plays. I saw two things that that I that I liked. I didn't one I liked, one I didn't like. The first is that he showed all of the ability to convert third and four, third and five, third and three. Those third and medium distances that they've been bringing him in to convert, I think he's he's the guy for that. I think he's a better guy than Flacco. Flacco kind of has to throw for it in those situations, and it becomes more difficult to to complete a pass. Um, than, than it is to get a run for the first down. But what I didn't like, what I really didn't like, is how Lamar ran a quarterback sneak. And for that, I really want Flacco in the game. So that's another another thing I really want to see. So your fourth and one guy, or maybe your third and one guy as well, still should be Flacco. I still cannot believe who Lamar followed on that quarterback sneak. He, he ran left. Yeah, he went on the and, outside, but still stayed in the pile. Yeah, and, and but... We already had on the to the right. Yonda had a, had already created his seal, and Orlando Brown was looking for a block in level two. I mean, it couldn't have been more open to run behind there. I know there was a big guy in front of him, Orlando Brown, but that's a good thing. That's what you, that's what you're supposed to want in the quarterback sneak. So instead, he says, "Okay, maybe maybe I have some smaller guys over here. I can work fast." Terrible idea. Anyway, uh, didn't like the way that play unfolded. And I know Flacco would have followed Yonda on the play and easily gotten the first down. All right. Um, all right, well, let's move on to the defense. That's a bunch of Lamar. We'll get to it some more tomorrow. But uh, you mentioned that this was the week of kind of exercising the demons for the Ravens. Yeah, so so obviously the most obvious one, last year's nightmare on New Year's Eve. Nobody wanted to be there for a 4 o'clock game. Everybody whining about it. But the Ravens have a chance to be in the playoffs if they can just win. They got it to 4th and 12. And Tyler Boyd and, and Andy Dalton connected on the on the touchdown pass from 49 yards, and the lights went out. Well, in this game, we had a similar, unfortunately, situation, third and 12. And this came on the second-to-last drive. Again, Dalton completed a ball to Boyd. It looked like it might go all the way for a moment as uh, Boyd evaded Brandon Carr, but uh, Jefferson was able to take him down. Uh, stopped him for a gain of 32. They they were only able to gain two more yards on that drive, and then they missed the big field goal. And that more or less exercised that demon, or at least it was exercised by the time his game was over. So that was a big one, just getting over last year's loss to the Bengals and the way they broke our hearts. Right. Uh, just awful. All right. Um, you mentioned the uh, point after versus New Orleans. So you're looking back at Tucker and the, the missed field goal. Yeah, well, the, the the missed point after touchdown against New Orleans was was horrible, and it was a it was a kick at home. So it's one of those things you wonder if Tucker's going to get over it or not. Uh, obviously, he made some kicks versus the Steelers, but it, it's not the same until until you make a really important kick for the win here. And he made three field goals, and that included the fifty six yarder. Uh, Tucker's now made twenty one consecutive field goals between fifty and fifty seven yards. That's over the last forty six games since he missed at Miami um, on. In 2000, December of 2015. Now, here's the amazing thing. We just looked this up today. But during that time, he's kicked the ball 98 times. 98 times when it has not been blocked and from inside 57 yards and made every single 
field goal. So 57 wow. yards or less and not blocked. 57, I'm sorry, 98 out of 98 since that 55 wide right at Miami on 12-6-15. So it was great to see Tucker come back from the missed extra point with that 56-yard field goal. And that missed extra point, I mean, it was an eye-opener because he hasn't missed an unblocked kick in forever. So anyway, right. great to get over that as well. All right, some of the other demons you mentioned. You mentioned a lot about head-to-head stuff with the Bengals where the Bengals' defense has kind of just destroyed us. Well, I, I, Joe Flacco has had just nightmare after nightmare against the Bengals. The last 10 games since the Super Bowl, he's had 12 touchdowns and 15 interceptions against the Bengals. And every it seems like he makes a lot of bad judgments, but what it really comes down to is the Bengals have been very effective sending a four-man pass rush, getting pressure, and causing Joe to throw some balls into seven-man coverage that end up with tips or they end up tipped at the line of scrimmage and they end up intercepted uh, in traffic when Joe should have thrown it or whatever the case may be. But 15 interceptions in 10 games with only 12 TDs since the Super Bowl win. And uh, Jackson threw an interception on Sunday. He wasn't perfect or anything. And his, his interception was a little bit of a forced throw that he shouldn't, have, he shouldn't have done. He certainly also threw other interceptable balls. But I will say this. He presented the Bengals with a completely different stylistic challenge and one they couldn't simply address with a four-man pass rush obviously with the Ravens running so successfully the four-man pass rush didn't even really get into play but when they when they did get the four-man pass rush going they got two sacks but they also chased him out of the pocket a lot where he still was making plays so uh he from that standpoint I think playing him against the Bengals was just an ideal first opportunity the Bengals on this historically bad defensive run and uh Jackson able to Take advantage of that with his skills being a great match for Cincinnati's weaknesses. And because of that, it also allowed us to just control the game as far as snap count goes. There you go. So that's been one of the big problems against the Bengals is they have they have really dominated snap count. And they had 15 rushing first downs alone in this game. Now, they've twice in their history had more than 15. They had 17 against Denver in 2010, and they had 16 in another game. I think it was against Cleveland. But they've, they've only done that twice. They only had 15, sorry, 16 or more first downs twice by rush in their entire team history. So it doesn't seem like a lot of first downs, but it's an incredible amount of first downs by rushing, and it's very demoralizing to a defense to give up first downs by rushing. All right. Um and speaking of rushing, it's the first time, what, in a while that we've had a guy that can run the ball and, and make an impact. Sure. So Gus Edwards channeling LaRon McLean, I say, really looked like him in terms of the low center, center of gravity, the effective straight-ahead style, the yards after contact. Uh, you know, a beautiful north-south compliment to Jackson. We'll get into that on the offensive uh, side of the ball. I, I did want to mention also the Ravens' run defense and how good that is because that's something that has really led to the snap count advantages is that the Ravens have been basically unable to stop the Bengals on the ground in a lot of these games. Well, the Ravens have gone 25 games now where they've allowed 4.1 yards per carry. And to a lot of teams, that wouldn't matter, but that is completely opposite the Ravens' DNA. They had never allowed 4.0 yards per carry in a season prior to last season. Now it's 25 games of 4.1 yards per carry since the beginning of last year. Well, they held the Ravens, they held the Bengals to only 1.4 yards per carry when you take out the two carries by Dalton. Dalton had two for 29. They're both on scrambles from the pocket, so you can't really use that as an indictment of the run defense. But the running backs, who had been averaging 4.8 yards per carry this year, 
averaged only 1.4 carries, 14 carries for 19 yards for Joe Mixon and Giovanni Bernard in this game. So outstanding step up for the run defense in this game. And I did want to I did want to mention that I guess we have a we have a segment we planned for this yesterday. Let's just take care of it later. Let's just take care of this right now in terms yes. of the run defense. Th- that the Bengals completely dictated the terms on which they ran the ball. Now, what do I mean by that? Th- you have two choices when you run the ball offensively. You can try and play with three personnel in the bo- in the box, and that means you either play two tight ends and one running back, or one tight end and two running backs, which usually means a fullback and a running back. So if you do that, if you choose the heavier set with, with either of those formations, then you usually are looking at either a seven or an eight-man box. And the advantage you gain, the reason why you still do it, is you have one extra man at the point of attack, particularly if you use a fullback. So exactly where you're going to run the ball, you know that. The defense doesn't right at the start. Your fullback leads the way and can provide one additional block at the point of attack. So it's worth having an extra man and a half in the box often or more than one additional man in the box to, to take that risk. The Bengals don't like that. They don't really have a great fullback. They have elusive, powerful running backs, and they prefer to run against the nickel. Now, that means they're running against a lighter for- front because when you force the other team to the nickel by putting three wide receivers on the field, and the Bengals did that on all but three defensive snaps against the Ravens, when you force the other team into the nickel, then they, ha- they first of all, they have five defensive backs, so you only have six heavies. But the, the exchange you make is typically to take a lineman out of the game to put a slot corner in. And that's a big change in the heftiness of that defense. So that line no longer has the same heft to control your offensive line. You have an easier time moving those defenders as necessary to create a hole at the point of attack and then allow your running back to do the thing in level two. Uh, so anyway, they, they, that should have been a big advantage for the Bengals. But the Ravens were able to shut down the Bengals' run game while they were playing nickel, which is very impressive, difficult to do. It's something the Ravens always could do in the in the Haloti Nada years and in earlier years when they had Sam Adams and Siragusa on the field. But it's not something that they've that they've been uh, able to do the last 25 games very effectively. And uh, Michael Pierce and Brandon Williams to a lesser extent, but Michael Pierce had just a terrific game to, to spearhead that effort. So uh, outstanding game for the Ravens defense to, to get the run game stopped from the Bengals. Gotcha. Um, I, let's move on since that's the uh, run game. Let's look at the pass rush because the Ravens have struggled with this. And even yesterday, they only got one sack. Right. So, it, yeah, I, I, it, again, it's still, it's still a problem, obviously. You got, you got one sack. They got a handful of quarterback hits. Uh, one of those didn't wasn't even a pressure event, or it was a late pressure event, I should say, uh, because Dalton had ample time and space to throw before it was off. But they did a very played a very vanilla rush against Dalton. Now Dalton news came out earlier in the week, a, a stat from at NFL Matchup, and I, this is a follow I really encourage. They put out a, a lot of nice charts. I'll often uh, you know retext them and have some interpretation that I put with them, but. Dalton had a 124 quarterback rating when facing a five-plus man pass rush. And the Ravens obviously were cognizant of that, and they decided to use less numbers in the pass rush. They were effective when they used three, four, or five. When they used six on three occasions, they really got burned for two big plays, totaling 61 yards on those three plays. So they didn't do a good job with, with the really heavy numbers rushes they did a good job on the on the other rushes with three, four, or five, and and they did it in a very vanilla way. We talk about elements of deception on this on this show, and 
one of the ways you can do that is to is to send blitzers from off the line of scrimmage. They did 10 of those, which is a low total for it was in the high 30s in terms of total pass attempts. So that's a low total for okay. for the Ravens. It would typically be in the mid teens with that many or high teens even with that many pass attempts. Right. They called seven stunts, which is a little bit more conservative way to get pressure, but it leaves it open for uh, Dalton to leave the pocket, which he did a couple times. If you if you run stunts and get people trapped in a position they shouldn't be, um, there were two man drops from the line of scrimmage that occurred on six occasions. But in in total of all the passes they threw in this game, there were only three times where the pass rush met my standard of deceptive. And we're normally seeing, you know, six, seven, eight deceptive rushes per game from uh, uh, from Wick Martindale. So, so this was a low deception pass rush game, very conservative. They basically dropped the coverage, let Dalton try and beat the coverage, and they did a very good job in this game of maintaining coverage on a, uh, a set of receivers that's given them some trouble in the past, even without A.J. Green. Yeah, and without A.T.A. Green was a big impact in this game. It was. It's uh, that's uh, certainly true. And not having him was uh, was a big deal for the Ravens. The Bengals fans say they would have won the game for sure if they had Green. I I would agree I would, that it I, certainly yes. would change. <laughs> yes, so. it was a three point game. I'll give I'll give A.J. Green those points. <laughs> um, how do we find a someone to pair with Zedaria Smith? You know, that's another really interesting problem, and I'm glad you brought that up because we really need to talk about that. So. Zedaria Smith took a much increased role in this game, so I guess we should talk about that now, is that he really took over as the Sam linebacker from Matthew Judon in this game. And and their snaps, Judon had been playing about two-thirds of the snaps, 64% coming into this game, but in this game he only played 28 of the 54 snaps, so he dropped to about half. And most of the game, when it was not an obvious passing down, they had Zedaria Smith in there at the Sam linebacker spot, which means he's got coverage responsibilities, opposite Terrell Suggs, and he ended up playing 43 of the 54 snaps. That's 80%. And we mentioned this before because I think his percentage was similar against the Steelers that 80%, and it was 59 out of 76 the previous week, so very close to that, is too high for an inside-outside pass rusher to play. If you have inside responsibilities, you get tired more, you get double-teamed more. Rushing the passer is difficult to start with. Rushing the passer from inside is a real is a real bitch, which is why inside linemen, defensive linemen, get rotated the way they do in the NFL. And 80% is just a, a very high snap count to play for a, for a player like Cedarius Smith. So he, uh, he game was short, fortunately, but 43 snaps is a lot. And uh, he had less of a pressure game than he has in the past. Uh, he had a, a couple of individual pressures, but he didn't have a quarterback hit or a sack in the game. So uh, not as great a game as he had been having. Uh, and it's an interesting move for them. He did drop back into coverage on an early play, had a near interception that he knocked down. But uh, but that was a strange uh, – you know, it, was, it, was it was a bold move, I would say, to emphasize his role and minimize what Matthew Judon was doing for the team. Now let me step up with one more thing. There are other ways Judon could have been used. When they had the pass rush unit on the field, meaning that was they were expecting pass, they moved Smith inside, they brought in Judon on the outside, and these Suggs on the outside as well. And some a few of those times they had one of them replaced by Tyus Bowser, who had a decent pressure game, by the way. But Zedarius, when he's inside, they had to match him up with one lineman. And they couldn't find one lineman to do it, so they rotated those snaps in a way 
that I don't think I can put a positive spin on. So they had uh, Pierce in there for five snaps, Wormley for seven, Urban for six, and Williams for one. And that was of 19 total times they used Zadarius Smith on the inside. Now, I understand the desire to rotate linemen, but I generally think it's a bad thing if you can't find that one guy who can really help you rush the passer. So they had him with Willie Henry last year. He was their inside pass rusher that they could they could pair with Zadarius. This year, they don't really have that one guy. Urban, I thought, had been the guy in recent weeks, but Pierce has actually you know provided a little bit as a pass rusher, so they gave him some snaps. Wormley getting seven snaps as a pass rusher was a big surprise, but they did that, and, and Brandon Williams getting a snap is something they, they had not done often either. He only got one, but uh, but still, splitting that responsibility among four guys isn't something I would have expected, and I hope that they're able to identify who is the guy it would be great if it was Pierce because it seems like he's getting less snaps otherwise. He's important to the run game, but there aren't that many important run snaps, so it'd be great if Pierce's pass rush could really continue and, and provide the value that the Ravens need next to, next to Zedarius. All right. Um, let's talk about Suggs because last week we talked about how it looked like they might be phasing Suggs out, using him less, and and. It was not that way. He played in 54 snaps. Yeah, it's a, a little weird, wasn't it? That, that you, we see this thing on the sideline. Then you hear the quote from from uh, you hear from Zurebeck that he wasn't available in the locker room for comment after the game. He wasn't on during part of the final drive of the Pittsburgh game. He, you know, he's during the or during the week. Harbaugh was asked about it, and Harbaugh said Terrell is playing exactly the number of snaps the Ravens want him to play. Right. That tells you that it might not be the number of snaps that Terrell Suggs want to play. So he comes back and he plays all of a sudden 48 out of 54 snaps. That's 89% in this game. It doesn't sound like there's a problem anymore or a miscommunication anywhere on, on what Suggs' snap count ought to be if they played him with that prevalence this week. So whatever discussions had to be had this week, they seem to have been resolved in Terrell's favor, and he got the playing time that uh, he probably wants at uh, 89%. Yeah, or whoever they used to fill in his time last week <laughs> did not get another opportunity. That's that is possible. Right. I mean, the, the, Tyus Bowser got some opportunities in this game. Matthew Judon's snaps obviously got reduced, but another problem is that Tim Williams is still out. So right. the fact that they're without him is really hurting the pass rush. And yes, Terrell would probably lose some snaps to Tim Williams if he were healthy, especially when you're going into this game as a must-win, which I guess a lot of the next three weeks are seem to be must-wins. Well, Oakland is certainly a must-win. Um, you know, you get to the point where you have, you're playing the Chargers and the Chiefs, and we get into this in a tiebreaker difference, but it would be unbelievably great if the Ravens could win against either the Chargers or the Chiefs because it, it like, ticks all the boxes except for a divisional win. Right. It's a conference win. It's an um, uh, important uh, common opponent win. I'm sorry. It's a conference win. The second thing is a very important strength of victory win. So uh, it could come down to strength of victory very easily between the Bengals and Ravens. And if that's the case, the Ravens are going to be scrapping for advantages. They have a small lead right now, but a win against the Chargers or the Chiefs would be the big game changer that would, that would secure it for them. Yes, but, but if you spend any time watching Monday Night Football tonight, you know those teams are playing on a different level than the Ravens. It, it certainly seems like that. But remember, the Ravens have, as, as frustrating as they've been, They've played awfully good football against some awfully good football teams and just come up short. Yeah, they, and that's been a that's kind of been a storyline of the NFL this year. Is one team will 
play a really tight battle one week and then they'll get blown out the next week. It seems very inconsistent this year. Yeah, I agree. Uh, how about the outside corners? How'd they do? Yeah, well, I thought it was a good game for the corners in terms of their recovery and, and getting over some bad plays. Cause so kind of like baseball closers, you know, corners get beat, closers get beat. You got to be ready the next play, the next, the next game, whatever it is. And Smith had the defensive holding flag that uh, helped give the um, Bengals a new fresh set of downs, uh, but he also denied a third and six conversion to Tate with a wonderful tackle at the marker. It almost looked like the, the Bengals should have challenged the play, but uh, Marvin is a little bit better about not using a challenge foolishly than, than Harbaugh is, as, as proven by the uh, fourth and one challenge on the uh, on the sneak by Lamar. But he did that, and he also had wonderful boundary uh, funneling. And we, we saw one one from Carr and one from Smith, both on the left sideline, where they, their men were – their respective uh, assignments were funneled towards the sideline. Dalton threw a beautiful ball in each case that I think would have been right on the money, but in each case the corner had slowed that man up by a couple of steps by anticipating the route, funneling him to the sideline, and kind of slowing him down like you're a, the horse in front. And you know the the other the other guy has to move completely around you, which you can't do with the other horse, and so you 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 hold him up. In both cases, excellent play. Uh, Humphrey, of course, gave up the touchdown to Ross, which was a terrific individual play by Ross. I thought nine nine times out of ten, now seven times out of ten, Humphrey punches that ball loose in the end zone, or he flips Ross out of bounds for no catch. But in this case. He punched. The ball didn't come loose. His hand got stuck between Ross's arms, and Ross somehow got both both feet down inbounds for the touchdown. But then, of course, he came back and punched the ball free from Cody Core that won the football game on fourth and three. So uh, great comebacks for all the corners. Each of them had big contributions to uh, to get the other team off the field and make big plays. But really good game by the corners. All right. Uh, let's get to the MVPs. So you're uh... – Three defensive stars. So it's been a while since we've done MVPs. Yeah, unfortunately, we don't do it in a loss, so yes. we'll, we'll go ahead and do this. Are you going to participate too, or you just want oh, yeah. me to go? Here? No, I got a list of some guys here. I'm sure they're different than yours. Okay, I'm going. My number three guy is a guy who hasn't got a lot of play this whole year, but he's been a very important part of the Ravens' defensive line. He's Brent Urban, playing a lot of snaps. The team's leaning on him. He's making a contribution both as a pass rusher and as a uh, run defender, and he's my number three guy. My number three is Tyus Bowser. He wasn't on the field much, but he did get half a sack and two pressures out of like six snaps. So, yeah, completely love that pick, and uh, uh, definitely high productivity per snap for him. My number two guy, Brandon Carr. Uh, lots of reasons, but he had a he had a nice stop early in the game. He did give up the thirty-two yard completion to Boyd that made us wax unpoetically over last year's. Nightmarish finish, but then he made up for it three plays later when he denied Boyd on third down and forced the missed field goal attempt that kept the Bengals from getting tied from 52 yards. All right. Uh, my number two is Marlon Humphrey for a similar thing. He had the uh, the big play down the line to keep the guy from getting the touchdown. Game-winning PD at the end. Uh, loving it and uh, great pick. Uh, my number one guy, Michael Pierce, has been playing at another level this year. Uh, they need him on the field in so many ways, and they're not using him too much. In fact, they, they use the defensive line sparingly as a whole in this game, which was fortunate. Nobody played over 26 snaps. We should see a fresher 
group of defensive linemen than you would normally see the second week after a bye. So I, Oakland should be ready to face some uh, some good line play. Pierce was a big monster in the middle for stopping the run with the nickel on the field. And he also had two pressures in the game. So uh, those were both significant as well. And any combination we can get out of an interior lineman that involves some pass rush and great run stopping, I'm all for. So Michael Pierce is my number one star. All right. And my number one is A.J. Green. Because if he, if he <laughs> takes the field, I think it would have been a different outcome. You never disappoint with a pick like that, Josh. Thank I mean, you. hey, it makes a difference. Uh, of course, if, I mean, if you want to take injuries away and you put A.J. Green out there and then you'd have to put Joe Flacco back out there and it still might end up a win for the Ravens. But uh, A.J. Green is a playmaker that I did not miss at all yesterday. Yeah, me either. So, all right, let's get to the mailbag questions. So you can uh, tag them up on Twitter using the hashtag Film Study Mailbag and get in your questions. First one up is about Gus Edwards. What uh, happened yesterday that allowed Gus Edwards to uh, do things Alex Collins and Buck Allen have not been able to do this season? Was it the Bengals? Was it having Lamar on the field? What made the difference? Well, he's a great compliment to Lamar. Lamar is a uh, get-to-the-edge guy who wants to find space. And uh, there are times when he can run between the tackles, particularly uh, from the pocket. But I think Lamar's preference is usually to get to the edge, find space. Edwards has a very different preference and a very different running style that is very straight ahead. He's almost you – know, a lot of backs are one cutbacks. Edwards is almost a zero cutback. He's a, he's a guy you want to run in a straight line off the handoff almost. That's, not, that's obviously an overstatement. But a lot of Jameel McLean in him, a lot of guys who is going to lower his shoulder, hit somebody, and run through contact effectively. And, and he did a lot of that against the Bengals. Boy, did he do a lot of that. Right, right. A uh, question here from Paul. Is there a certain level of success this year that would give Harbaugh at least one more year, or is it a foregone conclusion that both sides are going to part ways regardless? Okay, tall Paul. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion or, at all that Harbaugh is gone. I, I certainly hope it isn't. I actually kind of dread the notion that Harbaugh would be coaching the Browns or coaching somebody in the division. I'm just it's, – it's an awful thought. But he's still, I think, a pretty damn good motivator. And I'll say this. It's easy to motivate after a win. It's harder to motivate and push your message probably after a loss uh, or when there's a lot of controversy on the team. But that locker room didn't have a ton of controversy after the win, obviously. And uh, what I saw from Harbaugh was still impressive. He basically took the attitude. He, there's an old video out there the Ravens put out today, but his message was good, as in anything that bad that happens, it's still good. We can work with it, kind of thing. So he, he goes through all of these these specific bad things that happen in the game, right. like Lamar throwing interception, or they're not getting a decent kickoff return, or line they, up wrong on fourth and one. There you go, all those things, and he says good, and everybody is joining in. All the players are joining in. It's basically the message he's really preaching is. We all got each other's backs. And I think that's the that's what the players ought to take from that, and hopefully they did. And just it's a very impressive leadership of men way to way to deal with the situation where there's some things that aren't firing correctly and you still have to pick each other up and, and hopefully get it done. Right. So, so Har- Harbaugh expanded on that a little bit today with some explanation because out of context it looks awkward because you didn't see them after the loss with the Saints saying Tucker Tucker uh, missed the extra point. Good. It, it's way easier to say good when you win the game. 
But yeah. he was he brought into some context that it's a uh, they had some military guys speaking the night before to the team about overcoming difficult difficulties, and that's okay. where this good uh, mentality came from. But what I learned from that video is that Harbaugh has not lost that locker room. We talk a yeah. lot about coaches losing the locker room. I know it was a win. I know winning heals everything, but Harbaugh has not lost that locker room. I, I agree. And, and you know, uh, 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 Casey Stengel used to have the old thing he said is you're really working on the 15 guys so they so that the five guys are hate your guts, you know, <laughs> won't pull them to their, to their side of the fence from the five guys who love you. Kind of thing. It's it's just <laughs> you're you're always working on that middle crew. So Harbaugh's got probably still a doghouse of players that he's dealing with. The less he does of that, the more he's going to be able to sway the team as a whole to uh, to get on his side with the with the message he's delivering. But it certainly looked to me from that video like the team is basically buying into picking each other up. It was a big message that Ray Lewis always used to throw around the locker room and. And uh, and you know it was a big positive. So it, it, to answer Tall Paul's question, no, I, I don't believe that Harbaugh's necessarily gone at this point. Right. It reminds me. It does remind me of a Ray Lewis thing. It reminds me of how on that Super Bowl drive they all grabbed onto that no weapon mentality of Ray yeah. Lewis. And I feel like this season could totally go down if they start winning. That good statement becomes the anthem of this team. That's that's right. That probably is true. All right, if this is truly the beginning of the Lamar Jackson era, then should the Ravens prioritize in the 2019 drafts? What should they prioritize? Okay, uh, well, great question. We've, we've talked a little bit about this in the past. You know, they've got to get off the wide receiver treadmill. I'm not, I, I don't like the notion of them drafting a wide receiver in the first round, given the success they've had in the past in it. I honestly believe the team is better at evaluating non-wide receiver talent than they are, and certainly better at developing it than they are at wide receivers, but they've got to get off the treadmill. They've got to find a way to get young players at those positions. They found some running backs on the scrap heap that, that really make you think, boy, maybe it's not worth drafting a running back, or if we do, you draft him in the fourth round, you don't draft him in the first. But they've also it, it failed so many times at wide receiver, you want to give up, but you can't. You have to eventually draft that number one wide receiver because there's no other way to get a really good one and keep him in-house. You, you, you can't sign them. You know, even John Brown, who's not a number one receiver, he's just, he's just a good deep receiver, a good deep threat. Um, you know, he's probably going to cost $10 million a year next year. The Ravens can't afford to keep signing wide receivers on that kind of, kind of treadmill. They need, to, they need to find the guy in his rookie year that they can pay you know, $5 million a year for five years as the number one pick. And uh, and have him uh, produce for the team. So anyway, uh, that's the, that's probably the team's biggest need. Other than that, they're probably going to need to draft a linebacker at some point. Some of that could could come down to their philosophy. I think they need to draft a safety because Weddle is getting older, and I don't think they necessarily know whether or not they have the the playmaking safety they need. They always seem to need a pass rusher. It won't be any different next year if Zadarius Smith and Suggs are both gone. Uh, so they, they have a lot of needs. They're, they're going to need an offensive lineman as well. Um, that's certainly part of investing your in, in your offense in general is is continuing to draft linemen. Uh, that that'll always be a pick they make every year. But next year might be a year they take one in the either the first or second round. Right. This is a good time to po- point people back to the previous two episodes that we did during the bye week, where we really went through and graded every player on the team, and that'll help kind of show where there's weaknesses. 
Yeah, I, I think that's that's uh, nice of you to bring up. So, so that's all value relative to cap based. And if you if you like that, if you like that way of thinking of how you build a franchise, you probably like those podcasts. Right, and right, and you got also always remember if this is the start of the Lamar Jackson era, if this is the start of a new head coach era, it's a rebuilding time, and there could be a lot of needs all of a sudden. Right, could be could be a fair number of of veteran cuts. Certainly, I think in the in the long run that probably will help in terms of freeing up cap and putting the Ravens in a position where they can choose the point at which they compete again. But you, part of choosing when you compete is choosing when you're not going to compete and where you're going to economize on players, and and uh, that might be next year. Right, right. Um, all right. Well, make sure you guys get in your questions using the hashtag Film Study Mailbag or going over to Birdland Sports. And you can tag it, uh, get your questions in there on the film study page if you do not have Twitter. So, Kem Akusic, what's going on over at Russell Street Report? Usual stuff this week, uh, offense, defensive article, the podcast will be up over there. And uh, going to take a first crack at a tiebreaker article this week, and specifically what the Ravens have to do to win the tiebreaker against the Cincinnati Bengals. And they, they can win... A lot of tiebreakers against other AFC teams, but if they don't beat, win the tiebreaker against the Cincinnati Bengals, it won't matter much if they end up tied with them because right. the the uh, you have to win your division tiebreaker to get out and compete against the rest of the AFC. All right. All right, so we'll look forward to that in a couple of days. Tell us about Birdland Sports. Yeah, a brand-new episode of Section 336 up there tonight, uh, breaking down the Mike uh, Elias sign-in that the – Orioles did putting a new guy in charge of everything over in the warehouse. So uh, we're pretty excited about that. So we break that down on section 336. What do you, what do you think about Mike Elias's claims that he can work with Chris Davis and help him? <laughs> you know, Mike Elias did awesome at the press conference today. He said everything Oriole fans wanted to say. He, uh, was very he was very I was making fun of him a little bit because he was very careful to say he grew up in Northern Virginia he came up to Camden Yards for games all the time but he never said he was an Orioles fan so I'm pretty sure he's one of those Northern Virginia New York Yankee fans based based on the time okay. period that he was a uh, high school kid and the fact that Jeter A Rod all those guys were in New York yeah but, 15 years ago would have been a hard time to be an Orioles exactly fan. I mean yeah I mean he's 35 years old so. Um, but he said everything really smart and then he gets to the end and someone asks him about Chris Davis and he says that he can fix him and that he can bounce back. I don't know if he realizes that Davis has struggled for more than one year. And so it's easy to laugh at him and it's easy for me to laugh and say, well, he just doesn't understand Chris Davis. But then we started discussing it. And if he's going to bring in all this analytics stuff and bring in a coaching staff that understands analytics, then why can't they take all this stuff to Chris Davis now in the offseason and say, hey, look at this. This is why everyone's striking you out and find something. Yeah, I, I, I don't think there's any reason why that's an, it's an irrational thing. I mean, Chris Davis has been a hell of a right. productive player at the major league level. We know it's possible. Right. I, I my fear is that he depends upon something he's not allowed to have anymore, like a, a Adderall or another drug that's going to help him focus on this thing. I don't know if he's allowed to get a prescription no, for I, that now. I think he got that straightened out. I think it's the shift is what really killed him. And and but I but 
it comes back to one of my biggest frustrations with Scott Kubal was someone asked him about working with Chris Davis, and his response was that if Chris Davis needs help, Chris Davis will come to him. Uh-oh. Well, what I liked about Mike Ellis is he said, I'm going to Chris Davis. I'm going to work with him. I'm going to work with him this off season. Yeah, you need to be proactive problem so, solver in that case. You're $23 million man. You can't afford to have slacking off in the offseason. Right. I mean, Chris Davis has earned his money from some perspective. So he's, yes. you know, it's, it's, he's the like, Orioles cannot take it back. Right, right. He's like Joe Flacco. He bet on himself, got the money. But, uh, yeah, so it's easy to laugh at the fact that him fixing Chris Davis. But I actually think maybe he could do it. It'd be great. So, all right, Ken. Well, we will talk tomorrow and break down the offense. All right, let's go, Josh. Take it easy. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.